Hello, this is Mike, and welcome to another episode of Urban Legends and Conspiracies. On today's episode, we will be discussing the legend of the Loch Ness Monster. What it is, where it came from, and how it became the international sensation that it is today. So, like all subjects on this series, let's start at the beginning. The Loch Ness Monster, also known as Nessie, which is a name I love, and I'll probably be referring to the monster by that name throughout this entire episode, is a creature from Scottish folklore. It's said to inhabit Loch Ness in the Scottish Highlands. Sightings of this creature go back to St. Columba in 565 AD. Actually, funny note on that, between 565 AD and the 1800s, we really don't see a lot of documented sightings of the so-called monster. This is because, for the most part, it was a local legend, and a lot of the times these local legends don't really get written down or documented. It's just like any other urban legend where it's mostly by word of mouth. So there are large gaps in the history when it comes to documentation. That being said, let's start in 565 with St. Columba. So St. Columba was this Irish monk who was staying in the quote, land of the Picts which is modern-day Scotland. The Picts were made up of groups of people who lived in what is now northern and eastern Scotland during the late antiquity period through the early Middle Ages, and their descendants would go on to form many of the early kingdoms which would make up modern-day Scotland. And it is with the Picts that a lot of people believe that the early folktales referring to creatures that could be described as Nessie would have arisen from. So with that little drunken tangent aside, let's get back into the epic tale of St. Columba and his time in the land of the Picts. So one day, St. Columba, who was an Irish monk, was hanging out in Scotland for some reason, probably like spreading the like word of Jesus and God and stuff. And he's going around and he's like, Jesus, God, God, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. So he comes to the area around Loch Ness, and it's actually on the River Ness. And he comes across some locals, and they're burying this guy by the river. And they told him that he'd been drugged underwater by a water beast and drowned. A lot of people believe that this water beast may have been a Kelpie. Um, a Kelpie is a shape-shifting spirit inhabiting lochs in Scottish folklore. And funny side note, every loch in Scottish folklore has a Kelpie. They're pretty cool little creatures. So for some reason, probably because of either good storytelling or because St. Columba was just insane, he decides that he's going to send this follower of his, a man by the name of Lugin Men. Uh, sorry, Scottish speakers. I butcher every name. So he tells this guy, hey, go out and swim across this river. Which is pretty insane if you think about it, because, I mean, you see a dead guy getting buried on the side of the river, and the people burying him literally say, um, he was killed by a water beast in that river. If you go in that river, you'll drown. And then this guy's like, well, you know what? Let's, Let's send that idiot across and see what happens. So, naturally in the story, because of good storytelling, this beast approaches this poor guy, and he's about to attack him. Probably because, you know, you're swimming in his house. And, I mean, this is like horror movie 101 stuff right now. I mean, it's insane. But, 
here's where the religious propaganda comes in. So all of a sudden he makes the sign of the cross, which is a Catholic thing, and says, go no further. Do not touch the man. Go back at once. Because, you know, apparently Nessie speaks whatever post-Roman British Isles language St. Columbus spoke. And suddenly, all of a sudden, the creature stops as if he's been pulled back by ropes. And he flees. They give him thanks because they perceive it to be a miracle. It's a good story. And it's the first documented story where we really see Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster. However, it happens in the River Ness. Yeah. And, you know, if this isn't Christian propaganda, then I don't know what is. Of course, personally, I just see this as this guy just being a dick to his buddy. Now, a lot of people who believe this story do see this as evidence of Nessie's existence as far back as the 6th century AD. However, we do have to take this with a grain of salt because water beast stories are very common in early medieval hagiographies, basically a biography of a monk or a saint. And this does come from the life of St. Columba, which was written by a guy named Adamon in around 700 AD, so almost 200 years after it supposedly happened. Not to mention, there is a lot of Celtic water beast folklore that may have actually influenced this very story. It could have been influenced by Irish myths about the, I'm gonna really screw up these names, the Caeranch or the Aholaheist, which are other Irish water beasts from what I believe. Now, a lot of people like myself believe that this story alludes to a real written account of a story of a Kelpie. When I say real written account, I mean the first time we really see it in literature in the Western language that I'm aware of. You know, a lot of these were oral traditions. They weren't written down. I don't believe at the time the Celtic languages in that area really had written languages. I know they did a lot of rock carving, the cool little rock carvings and stuff, but I don't know if there was any real written language outside of the Catholic Church. So it could be a great way of documenting one of these Kelpie stories. Just kind of nice. It does put its little churchy spin on it because, you know, the early medieval Catholic Church wanted to spread its propaganda far and wide in order to gain convert which if you're a powerful entity like that yeah sure you'd want to do that and you'd want to relate it to some kind of local legend which was common in early christian propaganda however it's kind of cool it creates kind of a double-edged sword because at the same time while you're trying to erase a history you're in a way preserving it at least at the core of the story so after these events we don't really see any documentation on any sightings of the Loch Ness Monster really until 1933. There are a couple of sightings in the late 1800s, particularly one in 1871 and another in 1888. However, these were written after 1933, so there are people recalling their memories, so there's a lot of speculation as to the accuracy of these stories. In 1871, a man named D. McKenzie Apparently, he saw an object resembling a log or an upturned boat, quote, wriggling and churning up the water. You know, he finally published this 60 years after the event happened, but it also alludes to this local urban legend of a water beast and or a kelpie in the loch at the time. Um, in 1888, another man 
You know, Alexander McDonald claimed that he was walking along and he sighted a large stubby-legged animal, that's his quote, surfacing from the lock and propelling itself within 50 yards of the shore where he stood. Um, he actually reported this to the Loch Ness Water Bailiff, which I didn't know was a thing until I just saw it here on Wikipedia. His name was Alex Campbell. So he describes the creature as looking like a salamander. For those who aren't familiar with salamanders, they're basically like newts. They've been around since the late Jurassic period, and they're these little amphibian creatures. And they can actually grow to a fairly large size in the right conditions. That's Wikipedia for you. Despite what your college professors tell you, it's actually a great research tool. Especially if you need to sprinkle in some quick fun facts into a podcast episode. So 1933 is a golden year for Nessie. This becomes the year when the most famous sightings occur and the Loch Ness Monster goes from regional urban legend into an international sensation. So this starts really with an article that was published on the 2nd of May 1933. It was known as the Iverness Courier. It was about a large, quote, beast or, quote, whale-like fish. Ironically, this article was written by Alex Campbell, the Loch Ness Water Bailiff, who reported the Alex McDonald sighting back in 1888. Apparently, he was also a part-time journalist because all throughout history, people need side gigs. Of course, in this article, he discusses a sighting by a person named Aldi McKay. I probably butchered that name too. This was an enormous creature with a body of a whale rolling in the water in the loch. While she and her husband John were driving on the A82, which is a road that went right by the loch. Of course, this new and improved road would actually be part of the catalyst which rockets Nessie into international fame, along with emerging technologies getting to the hands of pretty much everybody, such as the automobile and personal cameras, and along with the powerhouse that was the newspaper at this time. I mean, that sort from this article actually reads, quote, the creature displayed boarded itself, rolling and plunging for fully a minute, its body resembling that of a whale, and the water cascading and churning like a simmering cauldron. Soon, however, it disappeared into a boiling mass of foam. Both onlookers confessed that there was something uncanny about the whole thing, for they realized that here was no ordinary denzen of depth, because apart from its enormous size, the beast in taking the final plunge sent out waves that were big enough to have caused been caused by a passing steamer. And that just goes to show you how well people could write back then and how illiterate people were. Unlike today where I've met people who I'm surprised can even read and they're high school graduates. Falling education standards, I guess. Now, Aldi McKay did admit to knowing that there had been an oral tradition of a beast in the lock well before her claim. Even the 1933 article alludes that for generations, the lock has been credited with being the home of a fearsome-looking monster. 1933 is really the first time in modern publications where we get the term monster and that forever becomes kind of the birth of what becomes the name Loch Ness Monster. Now with this story gaining a lot of media attention via newspapers, magazines, etc., more stories start popping up in 1933. One particular is when George Spicer and his wife was said to have seen Nessie cross a road in front of a car. Another guy later claims that he saw Nessie cross the road in front of his motorcycle, which makes me wonder why we don't have 
a ton of why did Nessie cross the road jokes. I mean, that's a lot more interesting than why did the chicken cross the road jokes, in my opinion. However, I leave that up to the rest of the world to latch onto that. Let's make why did Nessie cross the road a thing. Totally do that. So these articles and the fact that it was more accessible now to get to Loch Ness did create a large uptick in sightings, which even goes on today. We have the famous doctor's photograph, various other photographs, videos. They did scientific sonar testing. They've even done DNA testing of the critters that all live in Loch Ness. I mean, that DNA testing was more alluded to preserving the natural wildlife in the loch, and it did come back as stating that there's no DNA evidence of a water monster in Loch Ness. However, if Nessie is a Kelpie, then what would Kelpie DNA look like, and how would you even get that? I won't really go into detail about all the searches and watches and tests and history and discovery channel little pseudo documentaries. There's enough information in there to get lost in forever and if I did that this episode would probably be like three hours long and a lot of it becomes redundant and boring and easily debunked to be other things and it's not really very fun. So let's get into what could Nessie possibly be. So I touched on this a little bit before. I personally think that Nessie is a water kelpie. A water kelpie is a shape-shifting spirit which inhabits lochs in Scottish folklore. And as I said before, every Scottish loch has a kelpie. It's usually described as a black horse-like creature that's able to adopt human form. Some accounts say that Kelpies retain their hooves when appearing as human, which is more Christian propaganda. It makes it look like the devil or Satan, alluding to its non-Christian origins. Origins of Kelpie stories are unclear. However, a lot of people believe that it served a practical purpose of being a scary story to keep children away from dangerous stretches of water or deep waters, or as stories that warn young women to be wary of handsome strangers. Note the shape-shifting aspect of a water horse. These um, are known to take their victims into the water and devour them and to throw their entrails to the water's edge. In its equine form, its water horse form, um, it's able to extend the length of its back to carry many riders together which then drowns. Um, The common theme in a lot of tales is several children are clambering onto the creature's back while only one remains on shore, usually a little boy. And then um, basically what happens is he pets the water horse and his hand sticks to it. Sometimes the boy has to cut off his hand to free himself and other children that are riding on it are carried away and drowned with only some of their entrails being found later. So even in the folklores, they are said to be a warning, a scary story. Um, You don't want to mess or interact with a Kelpie. Post-Christian 
Scotland. A lot of the times this was set during a Sunday when the children were supposed to be in church. So that just shows you how far Christian propaganda kind of wraps its way into every aspect of life when it comes to folklore. In the folk tales where they take on human forms, they usually take on the form of a handsome young man, and he's usually there to trick some young unsuspecting female into going off with him where she is usually later killed which would be a tale of beware of strangers especially kindly looking young men one kelpie story we see which is associated with the river ness and loch ness comes from the early 19th century a kelpie haunted the woods and shores around the loch and a man named McGregor basically took it by surprise and cut off its bridle. The bridle for a Kelpie is the source of its power and life, which without it, they actually die within 24 hours. Um, this Kelpie had the power of speech, so it attempted to bargain with McGregor for the return of its bridle. He even followed McGregor all the way to his home, and he asserted that McGregor would be unable to enter his house while in possession of the bridle. It's because at the entrance of the house, there was a cross, Christian propaganda, um, above the door. However, he outwits the Kelpie by throwing the bridle through the window so he could enter the house. At this point, the Kelpie accepts his fate that he's going to die and leaves. And the bridle becomes passed down through the family. It was said to have magical powers of healing. Of course, in order to heal, you had to dip it in the water while chanting, In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They love their Catholic Christian propaganda in these old tales. Of course, the most famous hypothesis of what Nessie is today is that it is actually a modern plesiosaur. Plesiosaurs were from the late Jurassic period, around 203 million years ago. That's when they first appeared. They were common during the Jurassic period, and they thrived up to pretty much the end of the Cretaceous period, about 66 million years ago. It would make a lot of sense as to why someone would think Nessie is a plesiosaur when you look at the skeletal, the fossil remains of most plesiosaurs. They do look a lot like what we'd expect a Loch Ness monster to look like. They would have a broad, flat body, a short tail, and their fins eventually evolved into flippers. However, plesiosaurs breathe air, and for that, they would have to to raise their head slightly above the water. Now, we do see pictures of the Loch Ness Monster raising its head above the water in order to, we assume, gasp for air. However, the anatomy is kind of different and wrong in some of those famous photographs. And if there was a group of plesiosaurs in Loch Ness, they would be coming up daily to breathe for air. So there would be a lot more sightings of plesiosaurs than the rare ones we see. But where I think the plesiosaur hypothesis really falls apart is in the fact that the last plesiosaurs were known to die out around 66 million years ago, and Loch Ness didn't even exist until 12 to 10,000 years ago towards the end of the last ice age. During that last ice age, that entire area was covered in ice. Also in the fact that Loch Ness is really too small of an area, which side note, yes, it is the largest freshwater body in that part of the British Isles. However, it is too small of an area for a breeding group of plesiosaurs to 
be able to sustain themselves. And if there was a small breeding group of plesiosaurs in that lock that had somehow lasted for thousands of years, it would be so inbred that it would probably have hit sterility and killed itself out just from that. There is the genetic bottleneck and that does exist for all creatures. Now there is another hypothesis that states that maybe it was a trapped marine animal which evolved from a plesiosaur, either directly or by convergent evolution. However, even then, it's highly unlikely. I'm not saying stranger things haven't happened. However, we would have to find some kind of fossil evidence of that. And to this point, no fossil evidence has ever been found of a creature that either evolved from, either directly or by convergent evolution, from the plesiosaur, which would have become Nessie. However, at the end of the day, we really don't know because the mysteries of underwater continue to elude us in life. I mean, it was only within, I think, the last 10 years when we discovered the 300-year-old Greenland shark, which can get up to like 20 feet in length. I also believe it wasn't until like the 20th century when we were able to confirm without a shadow of a doubt the existence of giant squid, which is fascinating to think that we actually know more about the surface of Mars or the moon. We can even speculate more about the surface of Venus and other planets than we can about the surface of our own ocean. I think there's a world of research that could be done in our own oceans that we're not doing. I think we know a lot about our oceans, but when they cover almost three quarters of the planet, there could be some weird stuff down there that we don't even know about. And it would be fascinating to find some new creature or critter that we've never seen before. Now, I doubt it would be like a giant plesiosaur that swam and got locked into Loch Ness. However, very strange things have happened in the world. So what do I think the Loch Ness Monster, aka Nessie, is? I think Nessie is a Kelpie. Not in the literal sense, but in the folklorist sense. There's a massive history of that folklore in Scotland. There's no doubt in my mind that Nessie does derive from these Kelpie myths. It just makes too much logical sense for me. Now, yes, there have been weird things and evidence and photographs and weird sonar things that might allude that there is some creature in the lock. However, a lot of that has been disputed over the years. I like to think that the Kelpie idea is the most pleasing to me. However, we have the folklore behind that, but, you know, at the heart of any folklore or religion, there usually is some grain of truth. And that could be that at some point there could have been in the past water creatures that existed that travelers would have seen and told stories of that could have become attributed to these places. They then become our local legends, and then maybe they get propagandized. Maybe articles start popping up about them for whatever reason. 
And maybe in such a case like this, they do become an international sensation when you put in a highway and get tourists and cameras and all kinds of fun stuff. And then Nessie shows up in like video games and on television and on The Simpsons and in our hearts as the kind, joyful creature that we believe him or her to be today. So yeah, my opinion is it's just really good folklore and really fascinating folklore. And that folklore is what leads us to the urban legends and conspiracies that we have today. It's just a really old school urban legend. And I think that's awesome. I think that's amazing that humans have been doing that since pretty much the dawn of civilization. It's fascinating to think about. That being said, I know I did gloss over a lot of cryptozoological and even scientific evidence. I just wanted to kind of give an overview of what I thought the Loch Ness Monster was and what it represents. And to be honest, if I were go to go into that much detail, these rabbit holes get deep and I think uh, this thing would never end. When my research for this project, I probably spent five hours just reading Kelpie folklore. It gets pretty intense and then it spins off into other folklore from other seafaring cultures and you get down these really fun rabbit holes and then you also get into all these great scientific rabbit holes of the possibility that it could be a Greenland shark or a Welsh catfish and you have to research what a Greenland shark or a Welsh catfish is. You also get into some pretty crazy stuff where um, somebody thought that um, Nessie was a elephant that had escaped from a traveling circus and was hanging out in the lot. All this crazy stuff. However, I think I'm going to end it there. Thank you for listening. And if you do enjoy this, I would ask that you simply tell a friend about this. My podcast grows via word of mouth primarily. So any help on that front is appreciated. It does motivate me to create more of these in the future. So thank you for listening. This has been Urban Legends and Conspiracies with Drunk Mike.